It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome to Guy's Guy's Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins Guy's Guy's Radio. On Guy's Guy's Radio, we bring you guests who tell us about their stories, their journeys, their insights to help you get informed, be inspired, be empowered, to think to feel and hopefully act. That's what we do on Guys Guys Radio. We try to add value to your day as best we can by bringing in information that you might not have thought about. We get you to consider new ways of thinking, maybe look beyond that fence in your backyard because, you know, when you follow mainstream media, and we all check in, you got to see see what's happening. You got to find out what's what, what the big stories are. But when you're trained to and tethered to mainstream media for everything. You're just going to get the same stuff over and over again. I think it's really important that we provide information and uh, guests who have insights and can share their stories and their journeys and some things that have happened to them in their life that have really made a difference and can help make a difference in your life and your way of thinking. Because as we know, we create our lives every second of the day, and most of it is through our thoughts and our perspectives, and that's the only thing that's real right now now. So, Guys Guys Radio, we've got a great show for you today. I've got two guests. We've got Bonnie and Matt Myers from the Meyer Family Cellars, one of the preeminent wineries in California, and we all know the wineries have been hit by fires. So, I wanted to I want to support Bonnie and Matt on the show. Uh, Bonnie's been on in the past. She discussed her memoir called Perfectly Paired about her and her ju- her her husband Justin Meyer who is one of the icons of uh, California winemaking, and in particular the uh, Cabernet Sauvignons that they make. But I want to bring her and her son, Matt, on the show to talk about what's going on with the fire so everybody's aware and has the real information from people who actually live up there and work up there. And also, uh, so we have more information so we can support those wineries. Uh, I know at a, when things get better, it's, it's a good way to support the wineries is to go visit them. Obviously, right now is not the best time with the fires, but we really need to support our wineries and also uh, buy, buy local, buy California wines, buy U.S. wines, and do the best to help our economy and help our winemakers. It, it, it's, it's a tough business, wine business. There's so much information. There's so much competition. The margins aren't that great. It takes a long time and a lot of expertise to make a really good wine. So if you're going to buy some wine, consider buying local, buy California, Oregon, wherever, New York State, wherever, wherever it's local for you, and support U.S. wine. So that's what we're going to talk about on our show today. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. Um, Let's just talk about what's happening. I don't want to get deep into the election because um, it's just there's too much stuff going on. And I think, uh, you know, canceling this debate uh, this week, probably a good thing because we're not sure about the president's actual health. He says one thing, but we don't have a lot of support for that. So we really can't be too sure. He didn't want to do the virtual debate. The last time it went face to face with him and Joe Biden, it was kind of a uh, it was a mess, let's face it. It was a total mess, and it wasn't fun, and I think people were really turned off that this is what our politics have been lowered to. Uh, it was just very not informative in terms of what's going on with the issues, but I think we saw a little bit about the characters of the individual running for this office. So I'm kind of glad they canceled the second debate, and we'll see what happens from there. Last week we had the vice presidential debate, there was some more interruptions, and uh, I think there was a lot of openings, that things that 
that issues that could have been talked about and elaborated on instead of uh, kind of just this one upmanship and finger pointing at each other. So it's just sad, the state of uh, politics in this country now. And I hope after this election, I hope there's a clear cut winner one way or the other, and then we can move on. But it's not looking that way right now. So as I've said in the past, do your best not to get triggered by everything that's going on. Don't be glued to the mainstream media and everything about the election. And just take a step back. Be happy you're alive. If you have your health, be happy you have good health. Um, maintain good practices to protect your health and the health of others. And just be respectful and be a good person. And I think uh, that goes a long way, particularly in times like now. It seems like a little thing, but actually everybody who does positive things is making, there's a ripple effect and it really, it really helps out the global consciousness, if you will. Uh, what else is happening? Well, here I am in Southern California. I've been here about a year, and I've noticed that we're getting into the fall. And as an East Coast guy, I'm always used to the leaves turning. It gets cooler, and sometimes it rains a little bit later in the year, like in November and stuff. But here in Southern California, one thing I've noticed is you get these weather patterns, and they last from like five to ten days. And here in, in San Diego, it's been, wow, we've had the same weather for a couple of months straight. It just doesn't rain. And I asked a couple of people, I said, because I couldn't remember, what's, when's the last time it's rained out here? And I asked a few people who live here, and they looked at me, and they're like, I don't know either. It doesn't rain here. And that's just uh, hilarious in a way, but we need some rain now and then. And last winter, it rained uh, about, I don't know, maybe about six to ten times tops. But that's it. So uh, we've got another heat wave coming through. It's mid-October yet. We've got another heat wave coming through in Southern California. So if you like dry, hot weather, this is the place to be, I got to tell you. And it doesn't change. Where, you know, you live in New York, where I lived for many years, it, it rains every week. And sometimes, or it seems like it rains every week. And then when it rains, it could rain like two or three days. And here, it's like, I look at the 10-day the forecast, and it's sunny. Partly sunny, partly cloudy, 80. Every day. <laughs> a heat wave now and then, but that's about it. So I assume it'll change again going forward. But uh, just if you like warm, dry weather, this is the place to be. So anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, hope you enjoy our show. We're going to get at it right now with our special guests, Bonnie and Matt Meyer from the Meyer Family Cellars. It's Guys Guy Radio. It's uh, Guys Guys Radio. Uh, very special uh, guests here on Guys Guys Radio. We've got Bonnie Meyer and Matt Meyer. And uh, Bonnie, you may know, ha was on my show uh, a few months ago when we talked about the wonderful Bonnie Vineyards of the Justin Winery. And um, today we're going to talk about um, what's going on with the fires. We're going to talk about uh, wines, viticulture, and helping our listeners, everybody figure out what, what decisions they need to make. How do you make decisions about choosing a wine in a restaurant, the difference between different types of wines, and also buying wines at retail? Because here in Southern California, there's so much wine available. And uh, it's really, you know, the decisions are uh, a lot of decisions to be made because there's a lot of information to kind of fold through. So let me tell you a little bit about Bonnie. She's the principal of Meyer Fa Family Enterprises. It's an investment company dedicated to the regeneration of the planet and society. She sold Silver Oak Cellars in 2001. And I can tell you, I had uh, two bottles of the uh, Bonnie Vineyard Silver Oak uh, 
Cabernet, and it was heaven in a glass. They were the best domestic uh, wines I've ever had by far. She's now a partner in the Meyer Family Cellars, a winery run by her son, Matt, who's here, and her daughter-in-law, Karen. And she's the author of the upcoming memoir. Well, actually, the book is out, Perfectly Paired, and that's what we talked about last time, The Love Affair Behind Silver Oak Cellars. So welcome to Guys Guys Radio, Bonnie and Matt Myers. Thank, thank you very much, Robert. And um, I want to say the second, uh, one of those bottles of wine that you had that was the best ever, Matt made. So ah. one one was from Silver Oak at Bonnie's Vineyard, and then Matt uh, has carried on that tradition by making uh, those wines. So oh. you know, very proud of him. Oh, fantastic. Well, uh, the 2005 was incredible, and I'm not sure that uh, the, the second one made to me in 2015. They, yeah, they were both wonderful. So congratulations to both of you. And I know uh, Justin Meyer is an icon in the uh, wine industry, uh, and particularly with the Sauvignon, uh, excuse me, Sauvignon Blancs, the Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Sauvignons, and just an amazing winemaker. And his book is uh, called Plain Talk About Fine Wine, Justin Meyer. And it's got really great information, whether you're a consumer or you want to get into the wine business. It's just very well done. But let's start right at the beginning. Um, you guys are both up there in wine country. What is going on with the fires? A lot of fire, a lot of smoke, <laughs> bottom line, and um, more fire than we've ever seen. Uh, actually, the last, uh, since 2017, there was a major fire. Uh, earlier this year, there was a major fire, and now again. And I've, I've not seen fire like that in the, in the Napa Valley. There was one many years ago, golly, when was it? Um, Oh, in the nineteen eighty, maybe eighty one, when when a pyromaniac um, and a and a strong wind started a number of fires along the Silverado Trail, but these are more climate related. Um, the hot, high winds and the and the hot weather, uh, and it's it's scary and a big loss for so many people. Now, have any of your uh, wineries or properties been uh, impacted by this? Well, the, everybody's been impacted just due to the fact that you can't get away from the smoke. And, um, uh, but I would say that no, nothing has, nothing of ours has burned. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other wineries in the Napa Valley obviously have not been so lucky this year. Th this year to me is very different than the last few years. You know, we've had smoke in uh, 17 and 18 from fires that were relatively close by. Um, but almost the entire vintage had been harvested before those fires began. So they really didn't impact uh, the industry nearly as much as this one did, because this started so, the first start fire started so much earlier in the season. Okay. And uh, how about like right now, what's going on? Because every day we see more and more about it on the news. I mean, down here, I'm in San Diego and it was very, very smoky down here for about 10 days or so where you couldn't go out and really do too much outside. Of course, you couldn't... Uh, you know, go out for a run or play tennis or anything like that. How, how are things going now? Because people seem to, you know, mistakenly think that, well, maybe the fires are, you know, under control because we're not getting all the smoke here right now. But that's not necessarily the case, is it? No, there's certain communities that are much more affected than others. Um, up in the hills above the Napa Valley, the town of Angwin, um, and to a certain extent, the town of Calistoga. I mean, 
you know, the, the, the local fire departments have done a wonderful job of sending out releases and you can certainly watch those in line and they'll give an in-depth idea of exactly what's happening. Um, but they were very concerned over the last two days because we have had a red flag warning. They were predicting very high winds. And um, I'm hoping, you know, kind of what, what I've been hearing is that it, it wasn't as windy as they were worried about. I'm not, I shouldn't really speak out of turn, but mm -hmm. um, you know, just from the, every, you know, we're on the phone constantly talking to our neighbors and trying to get an idea just like everybody else of what's going on. Um, but uh, yeah. Now, how is this when getting into the actual wines, uh, how does the ash and um, how does it affect the, uh, how did it affect this year's uh, harvest and, uh, and then how does it affect things long-term in terms of uh, the, uh, the vines and the vintages and everything that's going on out there in the fields? So it should not have any real effect long-term. I mean, it's almost impossible to burn a grapevine. They have uh, done a good job of going out there and photographing vines that actually did burn, but that's very, very rare. Vines are actually one of the reasons why things are not worse in the Napa Valley is vines are a fantastic uh, fire break. Uh, they just don't tend to burn. They have a lot of water in them. Um, um, so that's been a blessing. The, and to that extent, like for the most part, you haven't seen many vineyards lost. Uh, there have been an, quite a few structures lost, and obviously that's going to take some time to rebuild. Um, but there should not, outside of that, there shouldn't be any long-term effect. As for how it affects this year's crop, um, you know, the good news is that any wines that were picked before anything started were perfectly fine. And to a large extent, uh, folks are saying that they believe the white wine production this year should be perfectly fine. Um, they're still very hopeful about that. And any reds that came in, you know, early picks, especially Pinot Noirs um, and a few of the other varieties that are coming in early, uh, should not be affected. Now, the way that it, that it affected grapes that are still out there is essentially there's these compounds that will float through the air in the smoke and they'll land on the outside of the grape. And that's not a problem. You know, but, but eventually there's certain classes of compounds, uh, creosols and syringols and guayaquils that can absorb into the skin of the grape. But it tend, what we think is it tends to stay on the skin. And so you can actually still make even a rosé wine out of a red grape if you don't press too hard because you're leaving those smoke tank characters behind. The real concern is the red wines that normally stay on the skins for two weeks during fermentation. And if you've got any of those compounds in the skins, they eventually get into the wine. Uh, how about the vineyards themselves? I mean, do the, does the uh, the ash does that get cleaned off? Do you just leave it? Uh, you know, what what do you do to the vineyards to uh, get them keep them in good shape? <laughs> well, it's, sometimes people like I do. Um, I incorporate ashes from my fireplace into my garden, mm -hmm. so the ash isn't a problem for the soil. Um, it is carbon. Okay. And so it's one way of that carbon can actually sequester, be sequestered by, by vineyards and other, yeah. Now, if, if uh, God forbid, the vineyards, the actual, you know, the vines were burned, do the winemakers um, keep uh, extra seed or anything? Is there any type of backup or once they go, that's it? Uh, do, do, they, do they, you know, do you keep a, a set of uh, small vines somewhere is there some type of storehouse or something i know i'm just i'm just uh you know throwing this out here just wondering yeah no of course so basically we don't grow any grapevines from seed 
okay. um, because the moment that you grow something from seed, you've got a totally different variety. So for example, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, there's nurseries kind of all throughout California in unaffected areas. And they would take cuttings um, off of the branches of those vines. You plunk that in the ground, you got another Cabernet Sauvignon vine. Got it. So, yeah, replanting it would not be an issue. And then how long, if that was the case, how long does it take for those replants to become uh, viable? You get a little bit of crop in the third year typically, um, but not well, only about uh, 10 to 20% normal harvest. And you get up to a full harvest usually by the sixth year. So it takes about six years for vineyards to come fully mature. Okay. Let's, let's get into some uh, wines and your background, Matt. Um, I know your dad's an icon in the industry. How did you uh, kind of get into the business and what was your background in uh, viticulture? What do, you, what do you like about it? Well, I mean, for me, it was an easy business to get into because like, I don't know, you know, my parents were in the wine industry, so I don't know what it's like if you're, you know, your parents are tax accountants, like maybe you don't want to hang out at work, but when, you're, when your parents have a winery and you go there, like everybody's in sort of a good mood, like people working in the cellar, people working in the tasting room, there's just kind of a nice vibe around the whole place. And especially, you know, growing up in the Napa Valley in the, in the uh, 70s and the 80s, um, it was a, a little bit of a simpler time, and there was definitely a, a very large camaraderie that my mom could probably speak more to, to than I could. I mean, you know, it's, it was a small, kind of close-knit group of uh, folks, and everybody was there to help each other. So it was a pretty easy industry to get into. And, and so what to, to learn viticulture, well, obviously, you know, I, you really learn the practical things at the winery, um, but then my master's is in viticulture from UC Davis. And so you kind of learn the theory and the chemistry um, at the university. Now, uh, as a, just a consumer and somebody who enjoys good wines, uh, location, it seems like location, location, location. I'm seeing Paso Robles all the time and, uh, uh, you know, Carneros, obviously, for some of the Chardonnays. And uh, uh, how important is location or is it overemphasized? No, it's hugely important. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, your weather is going to be a little bit different from one year to the next, but in California, we have it pretty easy. You know, we are, our summers, generally speaking, are very predictable. And, um, usually the same Appalachians will produce the same quality year after year. Um, like just, just the, probably the easiest example I can give you is the Napa Valley. So the Napa Valley, you mentioned Carneros where they're going Chardonnay. Well, that's right next to the bay. So it's the coldest spot. So they're also producing a lot of Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir, Chardonnay love the cold. You go a little bit north in the valley, it gets a little warmer. That's where Merlot likes it. You go a little bit north uh, from there, you get into the Oakville, Rutherford district. That's where all of your Cabernet Sauvignon is gonna be. And then you go the farthest north in the valley to Calistoga, which is sort of the hot end of the valley because you're the farthest away from the bay. And that's where you grow your Zinfandel because it likes it hot. And so absolutely, like you can't, you wouldn't be growing Zinfandel in Carneros and you wouldn't be growing Pinot Noir in Calistoga. Now I see Paso Robles, I mentioned that earlier, uh, all over the place since I've been out in Southern California and I was talking to a friend of mine, he runs a wine store in New Jersey and I said, just, you know, we were just having a chat and he, Paso Robles, what is the magic or is there a magic about that? Why do we see it? Why is it so ubiquitous now? I don't recall seeing that like 10 years ago, but I'm not that deep into the you know, super, super deep wine knowledge for myself as a customer. Well, I think, no, I have a lot of friends that graduated from Davis and are now working down in Paso. And certainly it was an up and coming region. And now it's really 
made a name for itself. I think a lot of that, a lot of that is, um, it's just proximity to the Southern California market. Right. And, you know, people love to go visit a place and, you know, kind of meet people and, uh, and understand the area a little bit better. So I think that really helped has helped out that region a lot as well. Yeah. yeah. Let me speak to that a little bit. Just in, just in general, Robert, that every, every region needs to find itself. And I remember many years ago when I went up to Oregon to a big event there and this I think was in the maybe late seventies, early eighties. And the wines in general were horrible <laughs> because people there hadn't quite figured out what they did best or how to manage the vineyard and where, how to face the vineyard, what varieties to plant. And the winemakers hadn't quite figured out exactly the best way to handle them. Um, but then over time, each area, as it first comes online, is really awkward, like a kind of a young kid. But as over time, it really comes into its own as viticulturists and enologists really begin to figure out what, what it does best. And then you'll see an area really focus and become more famous for a particular variety or two. Now, your uh, wineries are famous for their Cabernet, so Cabernet Sauvignons. Why, why do you think that is? And uh, why is Cab uh, kind of the king of the, the reds in California? Cab, Cab is king of the reds everywhere in the world. Okay. And so, <laughs> so I just, I just remembered, uh, Justin was famous for, for a quote. I remember sitting next to him when he said this for the first time. He said, every, the obligation of every wine is to be red. <laughs> and, and so that, that was his personal preference, but he also strongly believed that, that Cabernet Sauvignon it was the best grape for Napa and, and Alexander Valleys, which is where um, he was focusing. Now, Matt, um, our winery is up near Boonville. And so all of his Cabernets come from Oakville, which is mm -hmm. considered the best place in, in the country probably for Cabernet. Um, but then he also makes some Syrah and some um, other, other varieties up there, Sauvignon Blanc, other, other things. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, my special guests are Bonnie and Matt Meyer, uh, fabulous uh, viticulturists, uh, winemakers, and uh, real experts in the, on the area. And I, I want to get into, if it's okay with you two, is just for, the, for, for our listeners, just to get into the different types of wine and what people should look for. So let me start with cabs, obviously. What, when you were, somebody's going out, and let's say it's retail, what, what should they be looking for? Uh, what should be the considerations they're making when determining which Cabernet Sauvignon to buy? A pretty label. <laughs> um, you know, Justin, Justin's book talks a lot about this, plain talk about fine wine. And, um, you know, he really cautions people to, or really encourages people to, to really experiment and, and figure out what they really like. And then if you're going to uh, let, once you've found something that you really enjoy, and maybe you, you drink two or three or four wines that have been recommended by a wine writer of some kind, 
and you say, okay, this is what Cabernet, this is what Cabernet should taste like, uh, or this is the style of Cabernet that I like. Like personally, I don't, I don't like the um, high alcohol, really jammy Cabernets. So I'm definitely going to steer away from that. Once you know what you like and you can describe it a little bit to um, the person at the restaurant or the uh, someone in the wine shop, once you can say, I like a Cabernet like this one, then they can point you to other ones that are similar. Okay, well, let me ask you a dumb question. Um, what is a claret? Because I noticed on a bottle in the store the other day, it was a Coppola and uh, a Coppola and uh, it's a claret. And I'm like, I'm not sure what claret is. And then I was reading on it and I was reading up on it. It's like, it's a, it's a cab. And what, what makes that different? What is, what is a claret? It can be a Cabernet. It's not, claret is not a varietal name. Uh, and it, uh, Christian Brothers used to make a claret and, and it, it was a combination of Cabernet-like grapes. So it tends to be a blend. Is that is that your understanding, Matt? Yeah, I mean, so you don't see that very often in the U.S. You can see that a lot more in European wines because they tend to uh, label wines by blends rather than in the U.S. We're almost entirely varietal uh, uh, driven. I mean, there's you're, you are seeing a few more red blends uh, than you used to at the moment. Um, but uh, for the most part, we're varietal driven. Let, let's but let's just, go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Well, but I was going to say just to your earlier question um, about you know how do you choose wine? Because um, it can be extremely intimidating. And when in my dad's book, he devoted a lot of time to trying to get people to you know overcome that fear. And I would say become friends with your local you know wine shops, and if they recommend wines to you. And they and you come back the next time you say you know what I really didn't like that and here's why, and or hey I really like that and here's why and you develop a relationship with that person they can be your guide absolutely a hundred percent believe in that because and it's really hard to do that in a restaurant because you know usually unless you go to a, the same restaurant all the time you know I even have trouble uh, choosing wines in restaurants in fact you know uh, I usually make my wife do it she knows more about uh, different. <laughs> Down the world to me. But. Now, what's the difference between a uh, California cab and a French cab, if you will? Well, yeah, there. I mean, a French cab is sort of a modern thing. Like, typically, people would just refer to them as Bordeaux's, and but Bordeaux's are are almost always blends. They're hardly ever 100% Cabernet Sauvignon, and most of the Cabernet in the United States is is mostly Cabernet Sauvignon, if not 100% Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, so, I would say that's. Um, that's the first distance, the difference. The second difference is we actually went to visit my Bordeaux, my brother's living in Bordeaux. And, we, and, and when we were able to still travel, we went to visit him last year. And uh, I learned that I could learn nothing about viticulture in Bordeaux because our weather pattern is dry all summer long. And he said there hasn't been a week that he's been there for two years where it hasn't rained. Hmm. It's just such an incredibly different cooler climate over there compared to us. And there's the third difference, and that is that the, um, the French, which makes sense, tend to use uh, French, French oak, and, and there are wineries, notable wineries, like Silver Oak and, and Matt um, and Meyer family cellars that use American oak, and those two oaks have different characters. So that also gives a, a different 
character to to those wines. So it was really three differences. The the blends in the in the states. Um, I'm finding, and strictly speaking, on behalf of our some of our listeners at least, uh, I'm kind of feeling my way around. Uh, you know, like in the twenty dollar range, I've gotten a conundrum I thought was decent for for the price, and uh, but blends seems to be a real crapshoot, if you will, uh, in America. Is that true? And if so, why is that? Yeah, it, it's absolutely true, and I think part of it is that. Um, you know, some people do make amazing blends and they're kind of dedicated to it. And other people, they're like, well, I'm having trouble selling my Syrah and trouble selling my Zinfandel. So I'm just going to blend that together with some other stuff and see how it turns out. So you have to, there again, you just have to know who the producer is, you know. And, um, and really, at the end of the day, I think all wine appreciation is... Um, is, uh, you know, taste and see, you know, it's kind of scratch and sniff, right? And I always say, you know, there's these wine writers that make a living make rating wines on a hundred point scale, which I think is crazy, you know, because my scale has always been, I open it, I taste it, and I either like it, I really like it, or I'm not putting it in my mouth again. That's it. I got exactly. a three point scale. All right. Guys, guys, radio, I have Matt and Bonnie Meyer from the uh, Meyer family cellars and also uh, uh, formerly of Silver Oak wineries. Um, we're talking about wines today and I'm just Joe Blow consumer. So I'm going to ask some more dumb questions here. So when looking for a Pinot Noir, what should uh, our listeners kind of look for? Because as we talked about, it, it, since it's kind of a new type of uh, wine in some ways, uh, and it's, uh, there's been a lot planted, is it again just, you know, trial and error or are there certain things on the label that people can look for oh it's from this area it should be good because now i see oregon's got some pinot noirs and um obviously there's certain locations that are better than others can you help us out with that matt i same thing i would just taste and see so like when it comes to oregon pinot noir um i would say taste three or four of them and you know, I think people fit very well into two categories. They either really like Oregon Pinot Noir or they really don't like Oregon Pinot Noir. It's a very different flavor uh, profile than uh, Californian. And uh, some people gravitate towards it, some don't. It's you know, usually a little more earthy, it's a little more funky. Um, it has some kind of darker notes. Um, and you know, it's kind of like, I don't know, choose a, choose a food product, any food product. You know, some people, mm -hmm. some people like their steak, right. uh, uh, medium rare and some of it okay. like cooked with, uh, something on top of it. How about, um, I'm thinking of consumers now. My wife likes Sauvignon Blancs from New Zealand. I don't, they're very grapefruity and grassy and it's a specific taste profile. Whereas the, uh, Sauvignon Blancs from California, I find are much more even and more, more balanced. It, help me out with that anything else you can add to that am i on the right track yeah. there or what? yeah no i did one harvest uh, my wife actually did spent three years down in new zealand and it took her about 12 years before she would relent to making a sauvignon blanc here in california because she made so much of it down there she just got sick of it um and they do, they do do a great job but you have to what you have to understand about new zealand is they get their weather from antarctica and so it's cold and all grape varieties, whether it's Sauvignon Blanc or Cabernet, wherever they have a flavor kind of ripening index. And so, you know, sort of that grapefruit that you're talking about, 
that's that's what you get in those colder Appalachians, and then it develops into more tropical, you know, uh, fruit salady notes and floral notes as you get into a riper region. And so, for the most part, that's just a heat index thing. Okay, uh, everybody loves Chardonnay. I find Chardonnay is great, not great necessarily with uh, entrees, eating food, but great drinking. And then there's some that are buttery and some have more tannin. And what are, what are some of the things that consumers should look for to determine uh, what might fit their palate? Uh, is there a region? I mean, there is to a certain extent. So I would say that we get our Chardonnay from a pretty cool region. And the colder the region, the more acid you're going to have in the wine. So the more kind of refreshing it is. Um, Whereas, you know, if you get too hot for a Chardonnay, you, you lose some of that and it almost becomes um, very viscous uh, in the mouth. What causes the buttery taste? The buttery taste is a byproduct of malolactic fermentation. There you get a little technical, but basically malic acid it occurs in wine and it's not stable. So we add a bacteria to it to convert the malic acid to lactic acid. And one of the byproducts of the bacteria is something called, um, uh, well, it basically it, it ends up smelling like uh, buttered popcorn. But not all of the bacteria that you use for that malactic process cause that. And so you can, it's sort of up to the winemaker if they want their wine to smell like butter or not. You know, depend, so it depends on which. No, it is. It's a it's a conscious choice that people do, and a lot of American consumers love the butter, and so a lot of winemakers use um, use bacteria that create a oh, lot. That's of that. good to know. How about tannins? What what are tannins, and how do they impact the flavor of a, a Chardonnay or any type of wine? Well, and let me let me say one thing. One thing, one thing about the um, how to choose a, a Chardonnay, and it's the same as what what Matt's been talking about. Uh, that that if you decide if you like a buttery Chardonnay or or a clean um, more balanced uh, Chardonnay more more fresh Chardonnay and I'm I like the former and so if I am unfamiliar going to a restaurant I don't recognize anything on the list that's what I asked for I said I want to I want um, a crisper cleaner Chardonnay please and so it's really between those 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 that's a really good distinction that consumers can can make okay yeah well, let me flip back to uh tannins so uh it's a term that a lot of people hear but uh, i think for the lay consumer they may not know exactly what what is a tannin and why is it important and how is, does it impact the taste of a, uh, of a wine i mean the, the easiest way i could probably explain it is that there is tannin in coffee and so both tannin and wine and tannin and coffee, that's that thing that sort of grabs onto your tongue and gives sort of a drying sensation to it. Um, and it really is, it, tannins in no way affect the smell of a wine. It's all just about how it hits your tongue. All right, how about oak then? Same, same question. Oak um, has tannin, so it can affect the taste that way. Um, but oak also imparts uh, aromas that you're going to smell. And the best way I can describe that is oak is the spice rack of winemaking. Grapes do not develop spice aromas by themselves. So if you get coffee or tobacco or vanilla or any of those sorts of aromas, that's all coming from the oak. 
Okay. Um, I'm seeing a lot. I was in, I was in Costco the other day and there's two guys and they were looking at the wines and I, I, I find that, you know, you can find some good deals on some good wines there. And sometimes yes, sometimes no, but anyhow, there's these two guys and one guy picked up a bottle of, uh, it was uh, a red and he said, Oh, you got to get this. And it was uh, bourbon had, had kind of a bourbon over like bourbon barrels. And because so many dudes are into bourbon now, I was wondering, is that just a, a marketing technique or what? What do you what do you think about the actual barrels themselves? Um, well, I mean, at one point, you know, putting wine of any type into barrel was a marketing technique, right? You know, everything starts somewhere. But yes, um, those the bourbon barrels are barrels that they actually aged bourbon in, and then they put wine in. And so, at that point in time you're not getting any of those spice aromas from that oak because they've already been taken out by the, by the bourbon. Right. And so the only aromas that you're getting out are, are from directly from the bourbon because some of the bourbon will kind of seep into the oak and then that will infuse into the wine. Okay. So yeah, if you like bourbon, absolutely try it out. Um, the big box uh, retailers, uh, they have some private labels wines. What is your thoughts? Uh, I'm obviously everyone's different but can you find a decent private label uh, wine out there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's like everything else, it's hit and miss. Right. You know, some, some, um, some private labels, they've really worked with the wineries and they really care about quality. And some of them, they just know they can get juice for, you know, that the winery rejected for really cheap. And they're not too worried about the quality of the product. They just want to hit a low price point. So okay. it, it just depends on who you're dealing with. Okay, a uh, couple more questions. Uh, we've got Matt and Bonnie Meyer of the Meyer Family Cellars, uh, experts here uh, educating me and hopefully getting some information for our listeners. Prosecco, such a hot category now. It was kind of nowhere for, for a long time and now everybody's into Prosecco. What, what do you make of that? It's, I like Prosecco. <laughs> easy to drink, it's fun. It, it, why not? You know, it's, it's yeah. It's like that, but once you like, once you discover that you like that, you can also kind of go out from there and go to your wine shop and say, what else do you have that's, that has these same kind of flavor profile? Acava or whatever, yeah. Temperature. Um, a long time ago, I was the brand manager for Martini and Rossi Asti Spamanti back in New York City, and it was the number one selling sparkling wine at the time. And the reason was because it was sweet and everybody liked it ice cold. And I find that people seem to drink white wines way too cold and red wines, you know, some need to be room temperature, but it doesn't hurt necessarily, in my opinion, if they're just a tad, tad cool, not, not cold, but um, it seems like temperature is uh, one of these things that Americans have there. It's like sweet or not sweet. Everybody's got their own idea on that. What are your thoughts about temperatures for reds, whites, and any particulars that you want to talk about? I, you know, I, when I go to a restaurant, I ask for my water without ice. Me too. So we all have, we all have our preferences. Uh, cold actually diminishes um, and sweetness in a wine. If, if it's got flaws, the colder it is and the sweeter it is, it will cover up the flaws. Mm -hmm. um, and so some winemakers, um, uh, producers use that <laughs> to their to their advantage um, 
but uh, I, I would say it's, a, it's partly a personal preference, but generally wines are served colder, white wines are served colder than reds. And reds, I like cellar temperature, which is, as you described, uh, cool but not cold. Um, but if it's a hot day and I wanted, I have ice in my sangria, <laughs> mm -hmm. or I might even put uh, ice in a, in a red wine. If it's, if it's a really hot day and I feel like having red wine, you know, so there are no rules. It's just kind of a general preference. Matt, do we want to add to that? or? Well, sure. I mean, I would just say that I went to spring training like two years ago mm -hmm. and uh, went to grab a coffee before I went to, get the game, went to the game. And I just ordered, you know, a cappuccino. And I realized out of the 20 people in the line, I was the only person that didn't order nice coffee. <laughs> and, I, and I've noticed that every time I travel out of state to sell wine, whether it's Alabama or any, any place that's hot, yeah, they really like to serve their white wines cold. But here in California, I don't see that as much. People are more than, ha more than happy to serve them pretty close to room temperature. Okay. Matt and Bonnie Meyer from the Meyer Family Cellars. Uh, great interview. Let's get back to the fires just for a second before I let you go. What do people really need to know about this? Is there anything that our listeners can do to be supportive, help out. I mean, I, I, you know, my understanding is the, the lands, a lot of the lands where these uh, forest fires have happened are federal lands, yet we hear some criticism about lack of land management, et cetera. What, what are your thoughts on all this and what, what can people do to be supportive of what's going on and our firefighters, of course? The, the fires in uh, Napa and Sonoma counties are in the forested area, but not necessarily national forest. There's some okay. state, uh, state um, forest there. Uh, what they can do to help is in the best, if people want to donate to help people out who have lost their homes and all, uh, the best place to donate is to the, the respective uh, community foundation. So the Napa Community Foundation is absolutely the best place to donate um, funds to. And okay. I, I think Sonoma has a community foundation too. I don't know the name of it, but I would say the same there. I'd say the best way you can help is come visit. Because I mean, <laughs> in too. 2017, I kid you not, like when we had the fires and it, it, was, it was awful, right? But it was awful for two, three weeks. And then um, we had people canceling reservations for next year. And we're like, guys, you know, it's, yeah, don't come when there's a fire. It's not fun. Um, but the moment the smoke's out, you know, I know Napa's desperate for visitors these days, you know, between, uh, between co problems with COVID and the fires, um, we need, we need people to come. And speaking of that, we're, um, Matt is hosting, we're hosting at the winery an event tomorrow. So I'm going to be going up there well, along with a few other people who are releasing the 2015 Bonnie's Vineyard, which you had a preview. Oh. Yeah, and it's it's gonna be it's gonna be super low key. You know, normally we get you know two three hundred people, and we've limited it to about forty, I think, um, okay. just to kind of spread everyone out. But it should, you know you got to have some fun, even when times are tough. Okay, it's just as a shout out for your uh, the work that you guys are doing in your wineries, why don't you tell everybody the proper names of the wineries, where they are located, and how people can visit? Yeah, absolutely. It's Meyer Cellars. Uh, we're located in the tasting room is located in the Anderson Valley. Uh, but you can always find our wines on the website, which is www.mfcellars.com. 
as in MeyerFamilySellers.com. Okay, great. Bonnie, Matt, thank you so much. Forgive me for stumbling over some of my questions because I'm just like some guy who goes into the, you know, the, the wine shop and I'm uh, many times uh, just overwhelmed by the amount of decisions I need to make and the qualifications to buy the, the right wine at the right price. But you guys have done an amazing job in making super quality, super ultra premium wines, and also just being very nice and generous with your time to help educate me and our listeners. So thank you so much both for being on Guys Guys Radio. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Robert. Thanks. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's Guy's Guy Radio. Okay, that was a very informative discussion with Bonnie and Matt Meyer of the Meyer Family Cellars up in uh, Yorkville and Mendocino, California. And they are really wonderful people. They're very kind, generous with their time. They did send me a couple of bottles of the uh, wonderful Cabernets from the Silver Oak, the Bonnie Vineyard. And uh, I'm so pleased that they came on the show again. Uh, Matt wasn't on last time, and he runs the winery now the day-to-day operations, and I really wanted to devote the time to just sharing some uh, education, if you will, for myself and for all our listeners about wines and what we need to know and what's important and how do you kind of uh, build a a palate uh, for wine and what you should look for. And I guess what we learned was that with wines, uh, there's so many choices, and it could be overwhelming, all the information out there and all the appellations, but it's really about finding wines you like and then asking some of the quote-unquote experts to guide you to similar wines. So as Matt said, you go to the wine store. If you have a wine that you liked, write down what type it was, what was the brand, and say, hey, I enjoyed this, and this is kind of my price point. Do you have anything else that's kind of like that? And then you can build four or five different wines that, that fit that. So when you're out, you can look for discounts or whatever, but at least you start to build a repertoire around your palate as to what you like, and you can branch out for there. I, I would suggest that you kind of keep a little booklet on that, jot down or put on your iPhone or whatever, whatever device you use, um, the types of wines you like, the price points, where you got them, um, maybe a couple of tasting notes, if, you, if you're interested. If, if you're not, if you just want to like pick out what you like, when you like, um, it is a good idea to recall what was the wine that you liked, why you liked it, and then when you talk to a salesperson, one of these wine shops, they can point you to similar wines and maybe you'll spend a little more, maybe even spend a little less or find something on deal. So they were really terrific people and I'm very appreciative that they came on the show and hopefully you guys out there learned as much as I did about wine because as you can see, I like to drink wine but I really am not an expert in any way, shape or form. I have a lot of friends who know much more about wines than I do when I go out on business dinners. It's always somebody who considers themselves the expert and they they grab the wine list and I usually just listen and follow along but I know what I like my wife has an excellent palate and now 
over time, I've started to develop my palate where I can differentiate the different flavors, what I like, what I don't like, the different notes I like. And uh, it's just, it's an art and it's a science and it's a lot of fun if you do, if you do drink alcohol and if you like wine. Um, it can be a very fun uh, hobby. Of course, you don't want to drink too much. You want to keep it, you want to keep it real. But having a glass of wine with dinner can be an enjoyable thing if that's something you choose to do and you don't have an issue with, with alcohol. Um, okay, what else did we learn? I think we learned that it's a good idea right now to support our California wine vintners because there's been so much fire and so much trouble up in the wine country and it's good to support American and local brands. I'm out here in Southern California now. I'm originally from New York, New Jersey area, but it's good to support the California wines. And if you're in California, you can get, you know, the prices are, are competitive out here and you can really have the opportunity to sample lots of different wines here. So that's great. I think we also learned that, you know, kind of cabs are king for the reds and Chardonnay for the whites, but there's lots of other great wines are out there. If you like a uh, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Petite Syrah, a Pinot Noir, which as we talked about is kind of a tricky one because it became so popular so quickly based on the movie uh, Sideways, Rex, Rex Pickett's novel that became a really fun movie. Um, but it takes time and uh, skill to make a really good Pinot Noir. And uh, I've gotten some really good ones and I've gotten some that were like, what? So I found, I've found at least that Cabernet Sauvignons are a little more predictable, a little more consistent, and you do have to lay them down for a while. I didn't realize that you could lay cabs down for like 10, 20 years, whatever, but um, good to learn, and uh, I hope you learned a lot also. So here we are on Guys Guys Radio. We're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio in Southern California, the podcast and our YouTube drops every Thursday, and also there is a replay broadcast of our radio show every Sunday on KCAA at 6 p.m. Pacific time. It's 102.3, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM, Guys Guys Radio. You can stream it, you can download, you can listen whenever you want, um, Guys Guys Radio. We're, we're, we have so many outlets now, it's incredible. Let me just give you a quick laundry list. Uh, Spotify, iHeart, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Mixcloud, Listen Notes, Radio Public, Podbeam, Castbox, Podtail, Pod Paradise, TuneIn, Hubhopper, Player.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podchaser. My YouTube is you just go Robert Manny, look me up, and we call it Guys Guys TV. Uh, we have about 60 shows or so on there right now, and it's growing, and we'll be moving to all video. Uh, at some point in the near future, but uh, you can listen if you if you consume your podcast through YouTube, we're there. If you want to see two talking heads, we're going to provide them for you at some point in the very near future. But right now, we have all the audio on our YouTube as well as all these other outlets. So, guys, guys, radio every Wednesday night on traditional terrestrial radio, and then Thursday, the pod drops worldwide. We are now in the top 100 in the in the UK in Great Britain in Australia and Canada for our category, and it's doing great, and we've got more and more listeners, so thank you for your support. You can also catch um, all information about anything Guy's Guy uh, at my website, robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I dot com. We've got three free chapters of my novel, which is a source material for everything Guy's Guy. It's called The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love, 
and it's a fun rom-com about two guys in advertising competing love for love, sex, power, and money in New York City, the city where they play for keeps. It's been called the men's the man's successor to Sex in the City by Dan Wakefield, the iconic 20th century author. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We've got great reviews. You can pick up the book on Amazon or wherever you buy your books. Um, we've also got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness, pretty much anything that has to do with uh, a man's life. And I, I hope you enjoy those. I've gotten a lot of great responses on that. And it's all free. And... Uh, so we're doing a lot of fun things with uh, Guys Guys. So I hope you can join us. Every week we're here, Wednesday night. We've got a lot of great guests coming up. I want to thank my uh, team, Ryan Gilpatrick and Chris Marcello. They just do a wonderful job in terms of just uh, so much support, so much great thinking. Uh, Chris is doing production now. She's doing a wonderful job. And I, I thank you listeners out there. And I hope you'll join us next week. So until then, have a great week. And as I always like to say... Guys, guys, finish first. <laughs>